As you know, I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system. I found that it helps people relax and can support restful sleep. It's a real breakthrough in herbal products. The CBD brand that I take personally and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences, which is now proud to introduce a new innovation to their reserve collection, CBD gummies with 5 milligrams of THC. The Reserve Collection is a specially curated blend of full-spectrum cannabinoids, rich and bold, the Reserve Collection product solicits strong feelings of calm, comfort, and relief when intense support is needed. Enjoy a deeper CBD experience with Plus CBD's Reserve Collection of oils, soft gels, and gummies. All of their products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com Hoffman and use coupon code HOFFMAN30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman for Plus CBD's new Reserve Collection Gummies. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Just sharing with you that the other day, during my radio program, I got a question. Usually I get questions like, uh, what's good for this or that or the other condition? Uh, what do you think of the latest study on vitamin D? Uh, and then I get questions that are kind of amorphous, like, what's wrong with the American healthcare system? And in the format of my radio program, which is a call-in show, I had about six minutes to answer. And I did the best I could. But today we're going to elaborate on that. You know, why is America's healthcare system not meeting the challenge of optimizing Americans' health? We're spending more. We're getting less good results. Today's uh, expert is Matthew Reese. He's the founder of Food and Health Facts. It's a newsletter focused on America's toxic food culture. And he has written a book. He's collaborated with Dr. Uh, Miner who is Dean of the Stanford School of Medicine uh, on a book uh, entitled Discovering Precision Health by Lloyd Miner, along with today's guest, Matthew Reese. And in that book, uh, they take a look at some of the deficiencies of America's healthcare system, and they come up with constructive suggestions on how to optimize it. Uh, also, uh, Matthew Reese is uh, the uh, author of a newsletter. Uh, it's a great newsletter. Uh, you can get it at uh, his website, which we'll uh, give, give out the uh, URL for it. I guess it's foodhealthfacts.com. Is that correct? Uh, foodandhealthfacts.com. Foodandhealthfacts.com. And uh, there he has uh, weighed in on one of the latest trends in medicine, which is the popularization of weight loss medications. We'll hear what he has to say on that subject momentarily. Uh, so without further ado... Welcome to Intelligent Medicine. It's a pleasure having you on the program, Matthew. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, okay. So, uh, you know, you confronted with that question, <laughs> what's wrong with the American healthcare system? Uh, you know, maybe you can elaborate. Help me out here. Well, I saw a quote recently, uh, oddly attributed to uh, Walter Cronkite, uh, who referred to, he said about the American healthcare system, it's not about health, it's not about care, and it's not even a system. And uh, you being a, a practicing doctor, I'm sure you um, have some uh, familiarity with, with that, but it, it really is 
as you know, the healthcare system, it's really a sick care system and uh, prevention is not built into the American healthcare system. And we really basically simplify when people get sick, treat them. And so um, the focus, uh, part of the focus of the book um, that I, I wrote with uh, uh, Dean Miner at Stanford was to try to shift the pendulum, you know, earlier so that the interventions have to happen earlier. And there are many different tools um, that, that make that possible, and, and uh, digital health tools are, are increasingly uh, expanding the opportunity for people to actually take more responsibility for their own care. But fundamentally, uh, you know, the biggest driver of disease, disability, and death in this country is the food we eat. And so that was, for me, a stimulus to, to launch this newsletter. And I, I'll just say a few things related to that. With regard to the healthcare system, which is, um, with very few exceptions, food is not really ever treated as medicine. Now we're seeing we're seeing a few um, initiatives and even talk in the, in the U.S. Senate about about kind of bringing in "quote unquote" food as medicine to actually treat people and, and help people with better diets. But um, but as you know, presumably having gone to medical school, that that. Um, that that diet and nutrition and food just it's not part of the medical school curriculum and there have been several studies showing that roughly about one percent of the curriculum hours are devoted to to those topics and so doctors who could you know obviously on the front lines of uh the american uh health uh could be these really powerful allies and they're simply it's not trained in this, and um, and so the the patients don't get the uh, you know the potentially quite valuable information they could be receiving from from physicians. And to me, it's just emblematic of the the shortcomings in the healthcare system that that the biggest driver again of of, uh, of disease is food, but it's just. It's just not not even addressed in um, for aspiring doctors. And and you uh, the the title of the book, "Discovering Precision Health." The connotation these days of precision health is the development of uh, ever more powerful uh, targeted medications through uh, the drug development pipeline, uh, which uh, through you know molecular biology provide kind of a uh, a lock and key. Uh, to address you know, various health problems. So we've done you know, some really exquisite research in the field of uh, cancer, uh, cardiovascular disease, and now we're tackling uh, weight loss with medications that uh, are very expensive. And, and this is currently the definition of precision health. And yet, I think you've, you and the dean of Stanford School of Medicine have turned that, that term on its head. Is how can we apply precision to the task of prevention? Well, yes, exactly. No, I think that um, you're right. It's this this precision, and it's obviously it's more more targeted approaches. And that what the dean sort of the underlying premise of, of his book, and he relates a story about shortly after he became dean, he went to a conference at, at uh, the medical school at UC San Francisco, and it's all around precision medicine. And he was listening to all of the discussion, and he he describes sort of this moment where he's like, "Well, um, shouldn't." shouldn't the focus really be trying to keep people healthy, not just treating them with precision medicine? And so that was his uh, sort of idea of, of, and that's why he calls it precision health, which is, which is the less common term you hear a lot about, again, precision 
medicine. And he just thought the focus is entirely wrong if we're just trying to get if, if all of the emphasis is on these targeted therapies when the goal really should be that people don't need the therapies in the first place. And let's, let's um, uh, intervene earlier and have them take greater responsibility for their health. And so that was a, that was a theme that ran through the book. And it's, it's certainly um, informed my approach to, to all of these issues that I write about at uh, Food and Health Facts. And, and there actually are some high-tech tools which enable us to deliver prevention with precision, because you talk in the book about uh, uh, genome, the genomic revolution, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, how we can discover uh, people's uh, susceptibilities early on uh, and maybe customize uh, their diet and lifestyle in a certain way. Can you talk a little bit about how uh, high tech uh, can be introduced into something which is, you know, as old as Hippocratic Oath, let food be thy medicine? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, uh, so one tool that's in the book that actually is not a food specific dimension though food plays into it and that is what is kind of colloquially known as just a smart toilet and so people use the bathroom and there's a there's there's a a monitor that uh for the whether it's the urine or the the feces and something and the, the monitor basically can then immediately analyze um uh, again, the urine or the feces, and to detect if there are any uh, health issues or changes uh, that should be uh, that the individual should know about, and potentially the physician should know about. And so it's a you know, so there's there's monitoring that's going on basically around the clock on a daily basis, and, and it emphasizes the role of the microbiome, which yeah. is increasing in importance, and which. Um, you know, it really hasn't been getting the emphasis that it should get. And the microbiome, of course, is highly dependent on diet. The food that we put in uh, has a profound influence on the microbiome, which which really has repercussions for all the systems of the body. Exactly, exactly. And so that is, that's an example of uh, technology that's being used, again, to provide this this monitoring that, as you know, that's that, that's again another shortcoming of the of our healthcare system is it's generally there's not much in the way of ongoing monitoring. This standard scenario is you you know you go in for a checkup, whatever six months, twelve months, and doctor takes your vitals and and then it's just, and then we'll you know we'll see you uh, again in another six or twelve months. And so this uh, provides that monitoring, so you're finding out you know, immediately if there are, if there are issues. And again, so many of those issues, as you pointed out, are driven, are driven by food. And those, that those changes in the microbiome are going to show up um, in the feces in the toilet that the, so this, that so the smart toilet can detect them. And there's also a revolution in wearables. I mean, we, you know, started out with, uh, you know, the pedometers, you know, which told us how many steps we took, but they've gotten much more sophisticated now. We get all kinds of feedback, uh, and a future iteration of the Apple Watch, for example, will enable us to detect our blood glucose, like a continuous glucose monitor, non-invasively without sticking in the needle or using a lancet on our finger making us bleed. So, uh, it, what does the future hold promise in terms of precision medicine for optimizing lifestyle. Yeah, and I think it's very, it is very exciting, those wearables that we wrote about the the Apple Watch and its ability to detect uh, atrial fibrillation. And that's something that just would have been inconceivable you know, five years ago or ten years ago, that there would be this, this continuous uh, monitoring. And so it's a very 
uh, it's a very exciting field that I think can can deliver. Um, uh, it has a, it has a lot of potential. Again, the uh, but it's a it's a little bit of a second order in terms of the you know the big bang. I think is really going to come from is you know having people improve their diet and that these these tools and these devices can obviously still be useful particularly as people are aging but um the real the real payoff is going to come from you know the the, the time-tested uh tactics of um just having people again it's it's not exciting it's not new but more fruits more vegetables you know, less in the way of ultra processed foods and, and less alcohol, less tobacco use. And those are, um, that's, that's really where, that's really where the focus needs to be and should be. And, and broadly speaking, whether in academic medical centers or in public policy or in other, other settings, it just, it's not something that that message, uh, somehow just isn't getting through. On the eve of the 2020 presidential election, on November 4th, you and uh, a collaborator, uh, Vanita Rahman, wrote an article entitled Make America Healthy Again, paraphrasing one of the candidates, by paying more attention to nutrition. And in it, uh, you seem to look at COVID, which was then raging, uh, as kind of a teachable moment for America. How do you how do you figure? Yeah, that was uh, that was really one of the uh, uh, impetus for me to, to launch the newsletter. We saw that during COVID that, uh, that individuals with obesity were having much worse uh, outcomes after testing positive for COVID, high, higher rates of hospitalization and ultimately higher rates of much higher rates of mortality. And it's one of the reasons why the United States ultimately had uh, one of the highest mortality rates in the world around COVID mm-hmm. because yeah. fundamentally the unhealthy population and my my hope, um, and those certainly of others, was that that this would be that this could provide something of a wake up call and and provide um, perhaps refocus efforts around around obesity and and put a higher uh, emphasis on that in terms of in terms of uh, improving American health and from what I have seen watching this very closely basically three years is that I think we really missed that moment it um, for complicated reasons i think some of them having to do with social pressures and other things but but we don't we have not really seen any renewed emphasis on on obesity prevention we we obviously are seeing the, the weight loss drugs that are emerging get into that if you'd like but um but in terms of a real uh national effort around this this crisis um i think we're still just missing the boat yeah, in terms of federal policy, one of the big things that happened during COVID is that they extended the SNAP program, the Supplemental Nutrition Program, uh, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, formerly known as food stamps, to, I believe, I, I, this figure's to me inconceivable, but I, I've heard it said 40 million people receive these benefits. Uh, and yet uh, you take issues with some of the, the lack of stringency about the types of things that you can get with uh, the SNAP program. So, for example, uh, it turns out that 20, you write that about 20 cents of every SNAP dollar is spent on sweetened beverages, desserts, salty snacks, candy, and sugar. And uh, that's not taking care of food insecurity. That's uh, augmenting nutritional problems. 
Yeah, this is, um, I, I talked about the, the food and uh, nutrition not being taught in medical schools as, as an emblem of what's wrong in our healthcare system. I think that the this, what you just touched on, the, the supplemental nutrition assistance program and the fact that the, the beneficiaries are allowed to spend the money for all intents and purposes on anything they want. Um, and so uh, is, again, a huge, huge driver of, uh, of poor metabolic health among the poorest of, uh, of the American population. And, and you have, you have people, uh, some advocates say, look, it's, it's, we're, we're demonizing the beneficiaries by not allowing them to, to mm -hmm. purchase these products when, you know, who, who wins in the current setup? The food and beverage companies. This is a billion, multiple answer for them. No question. Yeah. It's a form of a government subsidy. Yeah. yeah. And so they win. And the beneficiaries lose. And I, how and why the advocates maintain that somehow, in the name of uh, not of somehow that it's some again we're we're uh, um, it's overly this too excessive surveillance or other things. It's no. it's worth pointing out that that other federal uh, programs such as the Women and Infant and Children Nutrition Program. Uh, they have these restrictions. SNAP mm -hmm. is actually the SNAP is is the outlier in terms yep. of it's, it's an exception to the rule, and um, and so it's it's something that that um, again it, it's just it's emblematic of all of the ways in which um, in in which kind of federal policy just has it completely backwards, and we're seeing there's you know there's some experimentation, and the food is medicine, the healthy food is medicine is making uh, some inroads in some places, but. But SNAP is this um, uh, massive uh, driver of uh, disability, again, among uh, America's most poorest, uh, poorest and most vulnerable populations. And um, there's a way to fix this that's going to benefit them. And but they're again, the food and beverage companies are very, very powerful and have a lot of allies uh, throughout Congress and in the, um, in the executive branch. And so it's a it's going to be a big, it's a, a big battle to overcome. Yeah, and I, I think that there's a study, I believe it was in the New England Journal of Medicine, if I'm not mistaken, which looks at it. it it's kind of tough to do a study like this because they had to match uh, economically disadvantaged people who took SNAP versus yeah. a comparable population who did not take SNAP. And what they found was that, by and large, the SNAP recipients were heavier. That's exactly right. And, and it's... Um Again, it just speaks to um, all of the problems with um, with with the system, and and there there have been experiments where people were um, actually given a um, basically they got subsidized, they got discounts if they were buying fruit or other healthy products, and and in fact the the consumption or at least the purchase of those products uh, went up by uh, twenty twenty six percent, mm -hmm. and so. There's a way to, if if we're not at least going to prohibit the purchase of these uh, sugar laden products, at least let's let's cut the price of the healthy products and, and, and create incentives for for people to purchase them. Yeah, and uh, you know, because right now we also have agricultural subsidies that strongly subsidize producers of staples, wheat, corn, uh, and so on. Uh, but I don't see a lot of subsidies for people who produce uh, organic broccoli. Uh, you know, I think it's yeah, the emphasis is on 
uh, cheap staples, which can then go into processed foods. Yes. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And again, it's another um, it's kind of just agricultural policy in this country um, is has a still the way the way you see um, uh, unhelpful policies again throughout the federal government. OK, so uh, we kind of laid out the problem. Uh, America's uh, nutrition is abysmal. The net result is susceptibility, all manner of disease, not just metabolic diseases, but it seems that infectious disease takes a greater toll. And in terms of COVID resilience, well, we emphasized uh, medications, we emphasized vaccine program, uh, but uh, not enough to increase resilience, you know, natural uh, resistance to disease. And I think that that's, you know, a major flaw in our healthcare policy. Uh, in part two with today's guest, Matthew Reese, uh, we'll talk about some of the possible solutions. Uh, foodandhealthfacts.com is the website, and you can subscribe to the newsletter. How do, how do you do that? Just, just click. Is there some uh, link there? That yeah. You just click it's, on? Uh, yeah, it's free, and there's a, there's, you can sign up right on, the, right on the homepage of the website. Okay, and in part two, we're going to talk about uh, one of Matthew's uh, recent columns where he looks at uh, the popularity of all these new weight loss drugs and what that means for Americans. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.